welcome to the Fracture Line, the official weekly news feed from the Chest Wall Injury Society, where we will listen to all the bottom line CWIS updates, shoutouts, fun facts, and weekly banner. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Crisco, and I'm joined always by Dr. Tom White, Dr. Adam Kay, and Sarah Ann Whitbeck. Welcome back to Fracture Line, everybody. Today we are honored to have on Dr. Ford Powell. Dr. Powell, thank you so much for joining us. We're, we're very excited to meet you here today. As always, before we start, we just want to hear a little bit about yourself. You know, who you are, where you are, what's your practice like. Go for it. Great. Uh, thank you, Mark, for having me here. I am a uh, board-certified thoracic surgeon uh, practicing here in Southern California. I cover three hospitals. Uh, Mission Hospital in Mission Viejo, Saddleback Memorial in Laguna Hills, and uh, Hogue Hospital in Newport Beach and Irvine. I have been doing surgery for about 27 years, uh, cardiothoracic surgery for about 20 years, and um, really became interested in chest wall injury about uh, 11 years ago. Uh, made a very strong transition in that direction with a lot of interest in the research that was going on. Uh, partnered with a few companies to try to um, develop minimally invasive approaches to chest wall reconstruction. Sort of looked at our community and where we were. We had a very uh, dynamic group of patients, um, some that were older, experiencing quite a few injuries um, just from falls at home, just because of their age and instability. And we also have a younger, very uh, active population. Um, so um, we felt that there was a need that was not being met in the community. Um, took that on as a physician champion um, and never turned back. Um, so very excited to be part of this very exciting um, profession. Well, thanks again for coming. So, you know, one of the first things we really wanted to talk to you about is we know that you just finished your MBA. Where did you do that? Yes. So um, I just finished at the Wharton School. I made the decision to get my MBA a few years ago, put it off for a while, and then, of course, got applied to uh, three different MBA programs, got accepted to my number one choice, which was the University of Pennsylvania, the Wharton School. And then, of course, COVID happened. <laughs> and almost decided to defer, but um, true to course, adaptability um, and recognizing that there are shocks that we have no control over, decided to move forward with it. And it was hands down one of the best experiences that I've ever had. And so uh, very happy that I did that. Now, would you say that having an MBA makes you an elite human as some of us who had MBAs? <laughs> <laughs> Because I've heard that so many times from other people while they're, you know, just lauding praises. And I just, I didn't know if that happened to you yet. It, so you know, I actually thought it I'd, wasn't until you know, towards the end of the, the, the program. Yes. Yes. There's this sort of topper Perfect. when they say, they give, they say you are now an elite human. And you're now exactly. in the league yes. of Sarah Ann Whitbeck. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, that's usually when they throw the rose petals. Exactly. I understand. Exactly. Yes, I remember that ceremony. I, I yes. am so happy to be part of Perfect. your club. <laughs> yes, exactly. You're welcome. And welcome to you. Thank you. Okay, my question is, did you have time for skiing in these past couple of years while you've been busy you know, you doing know, the MBA thing, because I know you're an avid skier. Yes, and I'm a little reluctant to say that I have been skiing close to you guys. And so, oh. 
killing me. <laughs> You're killing me. Well, what? I'm glad that you made your way out. That's good. I, I, I sent text messages and, and pictures, but no, we made it to uh, Deer <laughs> Valley um, a few times um, with my daughter and my son. And now my son, who is too cool to go on vacation with us, goes off skiing with his friends. So, so yes, so definitely yes. keeping that up. But, uh, but yes, that uh, is much needed time to clear my head. So did you take your courses at night? Like, like I took an MHA, I did my courses from 10, a, 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. every night. So how'd you do yours? So the Wharton School actually has two campuses. Um, they have the Philadelphia campus and then they have the San Francisco campus that has been there for, I think, 26, 27 years. Um, it is an in-person um, program. So you fly out on Friday morning. Classes start at 9 a.m. on Friday and they end at uh, 4 p.m. on Saturday with scattered um, online courses in between. Um, COVID, because it started in COVID, we had it pushed back a little bit. And then there are, they have a global a requirement so you have to either do an international week um, and work with an international company or what I did I spent a week in Washington DC learning how our country works and how the economy was impacted especially with um, everything going on with inflation so we were there right during the silent week of the Federal Reserve so we sort of had a, a peek into what was going to ultimately be announced as our um, rates and inflations are heavily impacted. Um, and then they have something called Marketing Week, which is also held for a week in Philadelphia with um, marketing professors of various acclaim. Um, and you basically are given a company um, through simulation and you have a week to launch product, change, pivot, um, and you're competing with um, both campuses and uh yeah no it was just an incredible experience so trying to find the balance with in-person classes uh, family school kids work uh it was exciting that's, that's amazing so you went to a real yeah. school that's pretty cool yeah <laughs> yeah 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 ford how do you do it i'm just looking at your cv president and ceo of pacific thoracic surgery head of chest wall injury service chief of surgery and chair of the tumor board, yet you still find time to go get your MBA. Incredible, just incredible. Yeah, it was, uh, um, there was, uh, I had an, I got a, a special recognition um, through the MBA program for best and brightest. And uh, so one of the questions was juggling life. And so, uh, so I, I just, I, I, I compared it to juggling bowling balls. <laughs> And I was like, oh. they're just, they're heavy, they're awkward, they, they're, they're heavy to lift up, they're hard to catch. Um, you got to keep your hands cool or else they'll slip from the sweat in the palm of your hands. I have no idea how I did it. I knew I just wanted to do it. I, I am a completely different person. I run my business differently. Um, I look at product development differently. Um, I manage my personal finances differently. Um, I manage my my personal life differently. Um, I, I do think it is a life-changing experience. And so um, not that everyone needs to get an MBA, but um, it's definitely teaches you a lot about adaptability, 
um, learning, um, a different way of looking at things from every regard. Um, I, I ended up majoring in operations management and in finance. And so um, operations management was um, uniquely interesting to me just because of my leadership roles at, in the healthcare system, but also my engagement in product development, personal patents, and so forth and so on. So I had uh, quite a few projects. So we worked in teams. And so um, each individual on the team um, developed a product. I developed a product that had nothing to do with medicine at all. And then I developed a product um, that is intimately related to the delivery of healthcare, um, which I refer to as transformative healthcare. Um, and I am in the process of discussing and launching that with um, a company that I have a, a relationship with. And so um, very exciting. And then also partnered with several of my colleagues on other devices that have stuff to do with diabetes, um, so forth and so on. So um, I think I was one of two physicians in the um, San Francisco campus, and I think there were four physicians in the Philadelphia campus, and that is out of 285 students. So um, we, we were actually uh, an admired group because I think that there's so much change happening in healthcare um, particularly in surgery, uh, robotic technology. Um, so um, we were the sought after individuals in the class to collaborate with. Um, definitely um, an exciting experience. Well, I think your point is well taken. It's not that everybody needs an MBA and some people can't. I mean, like Crisco, it was all he could do to make it through high school. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you. Do you have to right. you have to read a lot when you get your yeah. <laughs> and then you have to math. There's mathing and there's reading. So really kinda I'm out. it's kinda it's not yeah. you. You know, yeah. every, I'm pretty sure everything is on books on tape right now. <laughs> okay. There we go. That's, I'm good to go. That's you, Crisco. You're nice. <laughs> they, they probably had connect the dot type. Books of on tape on the bike. You got it in earbud form, and you're on the bike and is it in gone. color? I like there it. There we go. Absolutely. I like it. I actually have a I actually have a question for you, uh, for related to uh, chest wandry. Um, I know that there's been a lot of uh, robotic surgeries being done for um, lobectomies uh, for cancer and whatnot. And I've been hearing from some thoracic surgeons around the country that they've been noticing an increase of um, chest wall hernias related to the robotic surgery, especially at the site where they're pulling the lung out and just uh, some uh, increased tension. Because I, I know that the chokers are usually placed a little lower, uh, at least for that portion of it. They're kind of down around yeah. the ninth, 10th intercostal space. I was just wondering what your thoughts were if you're if you're seeing that, if you've noticed uh, like an increase in some hernias or maybe some separation in the costal cartilage junction there. Yeah, and I think that is, um, so I'm sure that you're fully aware that Johnson & Johnson is in the process. They've already released, released an announcement that they have developed a robot. They used the same um, engineer that developed the robot for DaVinci Intuitive to develop theirs, which is supposed to be the new next amazing thing. So I um, started off advising for them briefly but that is one of the challenges. And so as a thoracic surgeon, we've been doing minimally invasive thoracic surgery forever. Um, we get, keep getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, the challenges with robotic surgery in the chest is that the trocars got bigger and bigger. 
Um, I think part of that was the technology that was available. Um, I think also part of it was the skill set of the surgeons. Um, I used to consult for DaVinci Intuitive and the biggest issue is that we had to retrain surgeons how to do an operation that we felt that we had perfected. And so anytime that you have a device where the surgeon has to be trained how to use the device and learn how to do the operation versus an operation that is there to help me do my operation better, you're going to run into some challenges. Um, what you're describing is not unusual. You don't have the tactile feedback in the trocar um, to let you know that you're actually doing a fair amount of manipulation of that intercostal space. So you're not fully aware of what's happening until you actually go back to the table to remove the specimen from the patient, as opposed to videoscopic surgery where you're getting immediate feedback right there. So what you've described is not um, unusual. Um, I don't think we have a clear solution for it yet, but I do think that there's a lot more attention being given to repairing or at least minimizing that intercostal space so that you see less and less of that. All right, friends. Sarah, you must have some updates for us for uh, the coming weeks. What, what are they? Well, as a matter of fact, I always do. Um, this upcoming week, we have Journal Club, which will be great. Dr. Michael Guzman is leading um, Journal Club to um, lead uh, the discussion about his colleague, Dr. Benjamin Oliver's recently released paper, so definitely check that out. Um, our next webinar is actually the next week, and it's um, Dr. Uh, White and Dr. Uh, Froze Sidwa are, are doing um, just basic incision planning, and, and I think it'll actually be a really interesting, you know, they've got a, a whole thing worked out, and, and I think it's going to be really great. So um, those are the next two weeks of educational activities. Um, as far as social gatherings, of course, we've talked about this, that at the AAST, um, KLS Martin will be partnering with CUS to um, host a, a member event, and so that's open to any members as well as any of their partners or, or friends or colleagues or anyone you want to bring with you um, to, to that event, so watch the, um, watch the newsletter for the actual sign up there, or you can check it out on the website or let me know if you just want to make it. Um, that will be on Thursday, September 22nd um, in Chicago in conjunction with the AAST. Then there's another one, our one of our resident and fellow virtual networking events on the 27th. Um, so that'll be by Zoom, but any of our trainees um, that are interested in joining, I guess I should say med students, fellows, residents that want to want to chat. Um, and then looking down long term, um, the ACS Clinical Congress will be having their meeting um, in San Diego and we'll be doing yet another get together. Um, this one will be on Monday, October 17th. So just a handful of fun social things um, coming up. I think it's you know that time of the year for meetings and, and get togethers. So looking forward to connecting with lots of members. As far as other items that I would um, make note of um, that are kind of on the on the horizon. Um, I've heard from a handful of people about the cryo study or there are lots of questions about cryo. I won't steal Dr. Bauman's thunder in terms of the current status, so I'll, I'll let you update there, but I will say um, the documentation that's been sent as of now is the documentation that I have. So for the people that keep emailing and saying, hey, I need the updated version, <laughs> there, there is no other version than that at this moment. Um, 
Dr. Bauman, would you like to provide any update about the cryos? Yeah, yeah. Um, thanks for that, Saren. And sorry I haven't uh, responded to, to folks as well. I will get on that uh, here early this Great. next week. Um, I've been uh, in uh, conversations with my own uh, IRB, and so it's just – uh, back and forth, uh, nothing really changing. That, like uh, Sarah Ann said, the document that you have um, is the document that is uh, going to be the one that we're going to be utilizing with the with the protocol and everything. Um, and so, uh, I will um, I will reach out though um, um, this next week here and uh, and just um, clarify that with people that have asked questions. And actually, we would like to have Dr. White do a quick update about the less than perfect trial. Dr. White, certainly. Thank you. Um, no, uh, we've talked a bit about the trial um, in anticipation of a rollout here in the next few months. This is um, this is going to be a prospective uh, direct physician survey study. Uh, that's going to be the, the the methodology. But basically, we're going to explore the in depth the the nature of of hardware failures, and we'll be relying on our members to self identify to us when they have a, a less than perfect outcome, a, a a plate that breaks, a screw that pulls out a non-union that uh, develops after plating, uh, infection, those sorts of sort of very objective hardware mishaps. And uh, the surgeon, our surgeon investigators, which will be everybody in the society who wants to contribute, will just let us know. And when they identify at, at the point of identification of the failure, which hopefully will be in the first few months after the surgery, that will prompt an interview if they consent from one of us, and we will take them through the case and try to really dig down into the factors for why that case might have failed. It's that sort of granularity that we just don't just doesn't exist in any other study that that we've performed or anybody else has. So we're hoping that this uh, study will, will shed light on this uh, the phenomena, the rare but but distressing phenomena of hardware failure. Uh, the status of the, of the study, the protocol is finished, um, the uh, questionnaire is finished, we've practiced an interview, and we identified uh, recently that we this, the data that's going to be generated is primarily, lots of the data is qualitative. And there are people who are expert in taking qualitative information from studies and digitizing it, so to speak, or making it quantitative such that it can be analyzed and presented uh, in the most appropriate fashion. And that's an area of expertise that I certainly don't have and no one on the committee has uh, either. And so we, I'm, in the act, I'm actively in the process of identifying this qualitative researcher uh, expert. Uh, I have a couple of candidates. I have interviews uh, pending with them and we'll find someone soon and we'll get, we'll get the ball rolling. Uh, IRB, um, the pre-IRB pre, pre process at Intermountain has been completed and we received a favorable result. We just have to uh, tidy up this uh, qualitative aspect. So there's the update. So why don't we move on to uh, final stitch, everybody. Who, uh, who would like to go first? Does anyone have anything on their mind? I just want to put a big plug in for the AAST meeting. I know it's in a couple weeks. Uh, I'm going to be there. So if you want to come hang out with me, you know, uh, make, a, make an appearance. I'm actually not going to be able to go to the whole AAST. I'm actually just flying in Thursday. Going to go to the dinner. Um, uh, Thursday night and then fly home uh, Friday, unfortunately. But uh, uh, I think it's going to be fun uh, opportunity to hang out with some uh, fellow CWIS colleagues. I think it's going to be a really good event. So please, 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 if you can, um, uh, try to come out, especially if you're there at the uh, the conference itself. Um, I'll go. Mine's mine's not a happy one. <laughs> I had a I had a rough week with a, with a patient. Uh, it was a 
gallbladder I did, and very nice guy, very nice family. That him and his wife had just celebrated their 50th anniversary, and he had this huge MI at the end of the case, and the case took me a lot longer uh, than it needed to be because it was just extraordinarily difficult, as some gallbladders are, can be. And he's like essentially dying right now, and I just you know feel very guilty about it. And I just yeah, you know, it was a rough week for me. And you know, the bad outcome or the unfortunate outcome is not often, but it is. We we certainly take it home. So it was a rough one. Anyway, sorry to be a bummer, but that's what's on my mind is my my patient, Dr. Powell. Bring bring light back to us. I will share a letter that I received from a patient. Um, almost that I treated like almost 15 years ago, 13, 14 years ago. Um, <clears throat> it sort of caught me off the guard. Um, I used to practice in New Jersey and then I obviously am in California and I received a letter out of the blue and it was a name I didn't recognize. I apparently saw him in the emergency department. He came in in a, uh, acute distress, turned out to have like cardiac tamponade, pericarditis, um, athletic guy, viral pericarditis, whatever. I mean, anyway, take him emergently, drain the fluid, did a window, all sort of stuff. Completely, totally forgot about it, moved on, all was great. About 14 years later, I receive a letter from him saying, you don't remember me, um, but I remember you. I remember you walked into the ER. Um, you were wearing a nice jacket <laughs> and you were very confident and you said, I got this. And uh, next thing you know, I was, uh, next thing I remembered is that I was awake and I was with my family. And he said, uh, thank you for giving me 14 more years to be with my family, my grandchildren, uh, to continue to cycle and exercise. Um, he says, you may not, and it came at a great time where you're sort of figuring like sometimes I think people in healthcare don't always feel appreciated about what we do sort of came at a great time to, as a reminder that we really do have pretty impressive impact on the lives of so many people and sometimes we forget and that one little random letter from a patient I saw 14 years ago just literally just made my entire day. That's awesome. That really is. And that's happy. Yeah, yeah, that is really awesome. That's a great that story. Is. That's a great cool. story. Yeah, my final stitch is uh, probably an obvious one. I'm, I'm a professed Anglophile. I always have been. And uh, when, when the British people grieve, I grieve, and I feel bad for uh, all those, uh, all of my UK friends and families and their, and their, their Commonwealth, uh, uh, and the, anyone in the Commonwealth actually who, who lost their sovereign last week. And uh, so uh, my, my serious, our, our serious condolences for the loss of the Queen Mother. Um, it also reminded me of what, it, what it's like to... Uh, to lose someone who you've worshipped and adored and has been a big part of your life, and, and that made me, of course, that led me, of course, to Fred Pirachi and his his uh, relationship with Burt Reynolds. It must must have been very very similar emotions. Must must have been a play, or maybe maybe still are. And then uh, the other reason I wanted to remind uh, or that I was reminded of Fred is because it was his birthday this last week, and I wish anyone in the society who would would care to should. Um, should uh, send send Fred his birthday birthday gr greetings on his fifty uh, fifth birthday. <clears throat> so big day, big it's day, a big day. Okay. fifty five. Um, well, I um, 
likewise wanted to um, have a moment of um, honor for um, people who have passed before us. This weekend um, is um, the the anniversary of September 11th, and you know there's there's much to be said about that day, and you know obviously a lot with politics both before and after that day, but regardless, there were a lot of people that um, left for work that day and didn't know that they wouldn't be coming home and their loved ones didn't know that they wouldn't have just one more chance to give them a big hug and tell them how much they mean to them. So I would just say, you know, every year this is an opportunity to remember to remember and remember to say how much you care about the people around you. So to um, all the people that, that log into our zany weird podcast and to my fellow co-hosts etc to you know dr powell this week as our guest as well as our many other guests that we have enjoyed dr k dr bauman dr crisco and dr white you know recording the podcast with you is not the worst part of my week so thank you for making it not a miserable 30 minutes of my day and I am grateful for the influence that you guys all have in my world. So thank you very much and um, make sure that you, uh, if you are listening to this, that you take time to tell someone in your world um, that you're grateful for them so that we all pass it on. Here, here.